Uh, tonight we will be looking at, um, once again, the Noahide laws in the Rambam, and specifically I'd like the issues of abortion, homosexuality, and um, beyond that as well, where we stand as Americans uh, vis-a-vis those laws that are so often uh, discussed in our society. You have in front of you um, the Rambam Hachadalid in the ninth parak, down the page of Hachadalid, where it says on the right hand side, Ben Noach Shaharag Nefesh Afilu Ubar Bemae Imo He says that a Ben Noach, a Noachide, who kills someone else, who murders someone, even if he fetus within the mother's womb, so that is considered to be murder, and the Noahide is thereby would be killed or is fitting to be killed for engaging in such activity. Uh, there are several questions that have to be raised here with re- reference to this issue. Um, first of all, what is the prohibition exactly of abortion according to Jewish law? So here it seems like it's murder, right? A Noahide... Noachide does this, and it's considered to be, it says, uh, murder. Whoever he kills, even a fetus, right, he would get the death penalty. But the Rambam, in discussing this Kamar Masechet Sanhedrin, where it comes up, uh, discusses this and, and makes a little turn on this to understand it a little differently. And that is, some of you may know this, the Rambam says that abortion, or the question of the mother's life versus, let us say, the fetus, in a case where the mother was in travail, all right, as the Mishnah Olot says, a famous Mishnah there, the Mishnah there says that if a mother is in pain in childbirth and the child is uh, putting her life into danger, that you are allowed to literally says you can take the child apart limb from limb, tear the child apart, whatever you have to do to emphasize that, use the Torah doesn't speak that way or the, the Gemara that is done that in order that you can save the mother's life and you should know you should do it that's why it's so harsh, you should, even if you have to tear that baby apart you do it to save the mother's life the question is why is that so? Why is that considered to be a case where you can save the mother's life at the expense of the fetus, right? And this only goes, by the way, until the baby sticks its head out. Once the baby's head is out, or somebody's saving the majority of the baby, then it's just life, one life and another life, and who says to say you can save one over another? Just things have to proceed as they do. But if the fetus is still in utero, that's where the question rises, and the halakha is clear that we save the mother's life, right, even if we have to take the life of the fetus. The Rambam says the logic behind this law is, in fact, that we have a halacha in Jewish law called rodef. Some of you know this law, some of you don't. It's a halacha called rodef, literally meaning the pursuer. If A is pursuing B to kill him, and I am C, and I am watching this, so the halacha of rodef says I'm allowed to kill A, who is chasing after B, to kill him. Now, of course, you'll say, well, of course, we all know that. If we saw someone running after someone to kill him, we would stop that person. We'd be a hero. Of course, of course, of course you're, you have to stop that person. Everyone knows that. If a policeman sees someone running to kill someone, he stops the person who's the aggressor. Of course, right? But really, it's a chiddish, according to the Gemara. This is a new idea. Why is it a new idea? Because, wait a second. Usually, if I see something taking place, I have to bring a guy to court. I can't just be the law. I'm not the law. What is this? I can't just take the law to my hands and I'm going to kill this person. You know, do you know exactly what's going on? Do you know all the details? Sometimes you don't know the facts. All right? And certainly, are you a judge and a jury to be able to make that decision that you're going to stop this person? So how can it be that you can do this? But in fact, you can. And the reason is, the Gemara says, that the person who is the rodef, the pursuer, forfeits his life. He for, basically he has no life anymore. Otherwise, it was just a, well, it's a toss-up. Okay, you have to go to court. You have to see what the case is. You can't just go and kill this guy. But when he pursues someone else, and he's going to kill him, which he has no right to do, and that seems to be to you what is happening, then you are permitted to take the pursuer's life. Now, actually, the halach is that 
um, you have to, if you can, kill him you have to try to kill him by getting one of his limbs if you can shoot him in the leg just like a policeman if you can shoot him in the arm but if you can't and the only way to do it is to kill him you are permitted to kill him he has forfeited his life that's the halacha of Rodef alright now how does that apply here so the Rabbim says that this fetus is Rodef is like a pursuer how so here's the mother you know nice lady she's having a baby didn't do anything wrong she's having a baby and this fetus is putting her life into danger is putting her life into danger I mean she's not putting the fetus's life into danger I mean she's been supporting the fetus nurturing the fetus I mean she's been giving life to the fetus and now though suddenly uh oh we got a problem the doctor says the mother's life is in danger the Ramam says that fetus is considered to be like a rodef. Is considered to be like a pursuer. It's putting the mother's life into danger. And just like the Lachis, you're allowed to stop that pursuer. So therefore, that's why the Mishnah Alot says, you must stop that fetus who is pursuing the mother, as it were, like a rodef. It says, kerodef. And thereby, perhaps that's why it says you can tear it apart from limb from limb, just like a rodeo. If you're supposed to, if you can, just stop it by, by shooting it or, or cutting off a limb and not killing the whole, uh, you know, destroying the whole person, if you can. So, so through here, if you can do it, it sounds so cruel, but if you can break off a leg to get the baby out and that'll do it, or whatever else, do that. Do not just kill the baby right on, but otherwise the mother's life would take precedence if it would have to be so. Of course, you recognize that in Christianity, this is not the case. It has always been the case traditionally that since a fetus has not yet been baptized, and the mother has been, that the mother thereby is saved already, and she has eternal life, where the fetus does not. So thereby, it was um, the view of Catholicism traditionally that you save the fetus. Otherwise, the fetus has no place in eternity. You save the fetus. All these things came up called um, the baptismal syringes. They like, would try to create like a baptismal type of um, scenario even there in the, sometimes in the very room as opposed to having to take it to the church to a baptismal uh, waters and everything else in order to um, save the baby or quickly be able to, to uh, have it enter into eternal life with, with Yeshu. Um, so that is their view that you save the fetus our view is exactly opposite you save the mother we've said the Rambam says because the fetus is a rodef and this raises some very interesting questions this idea of rodef in other words that the Rambam is presenting for example let me give you an example if the fetus is a rodef um, first of all is the fetus alive or not? What would you say according to Rambam? And we said, Rambam says, Ben Noach, who kills a fetus. So, whether he kills a fetus or anyone else, it's murder, right? So, it sounds like a fetus is alive, right? We have the debate today in American society, right? Is a fetus a living, independent being, which is part of the mother? And Tosa says in some sources that it's just part of the mother. There are some views in Judaism. Well, it's just, uh, it's just supposed to be part Yerech Imo. It's just the part of the thigh or the, the, the body of the mother. It's not seen as an independent entity. But according to the Rambam, it would seem, as certainly as he's presenting it here, if a Ben Noach kills a fetus, it's, it's murder, gets a death penalty, well then, it must be alive, it's not alive, why would he get killed for killing somebody who's not alive? It must be that he's, he's taking a life, taking a, a beating heart, some of the commercials say. See, the Rambam could have said, we'll get to this in a moment, the Rambam could have said, it's not a full life, it's a fetus, it's not a full life. Why did he have to invoke the halacha of Rodef? He could have said, it's not a, the mother's a full life. The mother, the fetus is a potential life. It's not a full, it's not out yet. You don't know, it's not a full life. But he doesn't say that. He says, it's a rodef. He could, so why? Because he couldn't say that apparently. Apparently he holds it is a full life. It's just a full life that's threatening the mother. So just like any threat of a person or another person, you're allowed to stop the individual right, by, by killing it. So so you can kill the fetus in this particular case. The question I have for you is, very interestingly, um, I once saw it brought down in the, the name of Samposki, the following question. What if you have the mother, and the mother, God forbid, has cancer? And the doctor says, you know, to save your life, you have to go through chemotherapy and radiation treatments and everything. And the mother says, I'm, I'm pregnant. And the doctor says, oh, that's not good, because these treatments will probably kill the fetus. The question was asked, in that case, 
can the mother still go through with, let's say, the radiation treatments that are going to kill the fetus. Now, there are post-schemes that say that, oh, if that's the case, then no, she cannot go through the radiation treatments and she has to die. I mean, do whatever she can, but she has, she has to die. You cannot, in that case, save the mother at the expense of the fetus. Now, why do you think that is? Anyone who use the logic? If we're using the logic of Rodaf, the baby's not taking the life of the mother as the cancer. That's correct. Some posts can say this, that in fact, it's not the baby that's endangering the mother's life. It's the cancer that's endangering the mother's life. The baby's not doing anything. The baby's a regular baby like in any other womb. It's the cancer that's the problem. The mother is not being endangered by the baby. You can only, according to the Rambam, kill the baby in the fetus if the fetus is a rodef. The fetus is not a rodef. The cancer is a rodef. That's what some post can say. It's interesting. I once mentioned this to my Rebbe, Raparnas, and he totally disagreed with the logic. He, of course, understands the Rambam's view that it's the rodef idea. But he totally disagreed with the logic. He said, what do you mean... It's the cancer that's the rodef. He said cancer is not a rodef. Cancer is not an independent entity of independent being. Cancer is the person. We speak, I have cancer. You know, God forbid, a person says, I have cancer. The cancer is part of your body. It's not, the, the cancer isn't the rodef at all. Cancer is not a rodef. Cancer is part of you. You have cancer. That's part of you. That's part of yourselves. That's part of you. That's not, that's not separate from you. That's ridiculous. That's part of you. So it's you with cancer versus the, the fetus. And if you're telling me, the doctor says, well, to do this, you and cancer, the fetus is getting in the way. You, you, you cannot do those treatments with the fetus. The fetus is going to die. Well, okay, but if the fetus is getting in the way, whether it be in an innocent way, just like before also, if I'm having birth, you know, pangs and problems, it's not because the, the fetus is trying to kill me or something. It's an innocent fetus. So through here, it's an innocent fetus, but it's in the way. And therefore, Farnas said, he held totally no way. That you could still um, take the mother's, you know, the mother could go through the treatments and save the mother at the expense of the fetus. Because the fetus is still interfering with the chance for the mother to have her life saved. Again, that would be an interesting idea if it's, because the rodef idea. It's only if it's a rodef that you could save the mother's life. Here we're saying, is it or not the cancer? But uh, only if it's a rodef could you save the mother's life. You could think of a case where it's not, as they tried to do here, then you couldn't save the mother's life at the expense of the child if the child didn't do anything, if the fetus didn't do anything. Interestingly, the view of Rashi, he does not say you can save the mother because it's a rodef, the mission of all oath and so on. It's not because it's a rodef. He says because it's not a full nefesh, he says. It's a chazi nefesh, he says. It's a quasi-soul and a quasi-human being, which we understand in a sense. You know, depending on what month it's in, it may not be fully developed yet. Uh, you know, it couldn't live on its own yet. It's, it's, it's a quasi-human being. Potential life, as we might say. But not yet full life. It's potential life. All right? And that is what Rashi says. Now, that being the case, so what's interesting is, if it's only quasi-life, so there may be a question, if you kill that fetus, is it murder? According to Rambam, it's, it's murder, because the Rambam's had to say it's a rodef, because he couldn't say it's quasi-life, so he holds it's a full life. So it's a full life. You kill a fetus, it's murder. It so happens, by the way, if you do kill a fetus, so say you're a Jew, you do not get the death penalty. Why do you not get the death penalty? If you kill a fetus, so some say it doesn't mean it's not murder. It's just that, let's say we don't know, some babies don't survive, so maybe that baby wasn't going to survive yet, we don't know. In other words, there are limitations where you can't have a warning, so don't kill that person or you get the death penalty. But here, if that fetus was going to die, I would not get the death penalty. Just like a person who kills a trefa in Jewish law. If someone kills someone, let's say, who is soon to die, who is terminally ill, let's say he's going to die in a day or two, he's going to die. You kill him. Of course, it's still murder. You're a murderer, absolutely. But it could be you wouldn't get the death penalty because that person was going to die. He, you know, he had like already, a, because like a sword was on his throat already, he was already going to die right there. All right? But still, it's murder. Of course, it's murder. But we couldn't give you the death penalty. Maybe throw you in jail, whatever we do, you, we couldn't give you the death penalty. Rashi, it sounds like, again, back to Rashi, that this is not a full life. Why would, you, why, why would it be murder? It's not a full life. It's not a full life. 
So it could be that by a Jew, and, and so Rashi says, fine, that's why I don't get the death penalty. It's not murder. It's, it's, you can't go up to a person and just rip off their arm. You can't go to a person and just rip out their fetus. So, yeah, you'd get a penalty for that. You would have not get the death penalty, all right, in that particular case. But yet, what's difficult about Rashi is, it says a bed Noah does get the death penalty. A Noahide who commits an abortion, right, does get the death penalty. It says that. But a Jew doesn't. So I understand. Either it's murder or it's not. I understand the Noahide law. You're saying you said it's murder. If it's murder, and Rashi agrees, by the way, that a Noahide who does this, it's a Gemara, gets the death penalty. So... What goes here? According to the Rambam, it makes sense. It's murder, so it's murder by a Noahide, he gets the death penalty. By a Jew, there's certain requirements, or you need a, a warning, right? In fact, there's a great answer by the Mizrahi, um, or Mizrahi, to this question. According to the Rambam, again, how could it be that the Noahide gets the death penalty and a Jew doesn't? Either murder is murder is murder, right? Mizrahi gives the answer that it's because he didn't get a warning. A Noahide does not need a warning. So thereby... You know, oh, the baby might not live. How do you know? It doesn't matter. Okay, it, do, it doesn't matter. You don't need a warning. You don't get any other... Another warning is, in the, by Noahide, the, the idea is that if you kill that fetus, you will get the death penalty. How do you know? Maybe the fetus wasn't going to live, right? So then that warning becomes not a true warning. Noahides don't need a warning, it just so happens. They don't need a warning. So therefore, it's irrelevant. You get the death penalty anyway. Jews, as a technicality, they need a, a warning. And the warning, technically, might not be accurate so therefore they cannot get the death penalty. That's what Eliyahu Mizrahi says. I have another, another answer I thought of, and that is <clears throat> that we will see later, the Rambam says, if you look actually on your sheet, if you look down for a minute to Halacha Yud, Halacha Yud on the right-hand side, it says, V'chein chayev al eber minachai, and, and we said, you know, there's a law, Noachai can't eat the limb of a living animal, right? And if he does, he says, Bechol shahu, the smallest amount, he takes a little taste, right? He gets the death penalty for violating this law. He says, Shalom nitnu hashiurin Israel bilvad. Because only Jews, again, have this technicality that if they do something, there must be a certain significant amount that is, um, you know, that is reached, a certain threshold that is reached in order for the prohibition to lead to the death penalty. For example, we all know, let's just take it in practical uh, living, we all know that to bench after you eat, you have to eat, according to the Torah, the Shabbat, you have to be satisfied. But according to the rabbis, kezayit, you have to eat a kezayit. You have to eat an olive's volume worth of bread, okay, to bench afterwards. So we have certain laws to, to, to bench after, to be a blessing. After wine or a drink, you have to drink a revise. You have to drink a certain amount, somewhere between uh, three and five ounces, depending on what view you go by, okay? You have to drink a certain amount, okay? Fine. That's by Jews. They have certain laws like that. A Jew, let's say Yom Kippur, all right? So Yom Kippur, in order to violate the full-fledged prohibition of eating on Yom Kippur, you have to eat a certain amount, okay, a certain significant amount. Non-Jew has no laws like that. His law is, we don't give you amounts. You know, you only have seven meats vote. You're required to be a little more careful, all right? So any little amount you eat, you take a bite of Eber Minachai, you take a bite of, a, of an animal, you know, which is still alive, but with its, and you eat it, right? You, that's it. That's enough. You get the death penalty. I didn't eat that much. Sorry, Charlie. Okay, that's, that's it. For you, there are no, no elements of shiurim, of measurements that are required. Okay? By the way, by a Jew, that's why we have, we have a notion also by a Jew of chatzi shiur. There's a machlok in the Gemara, if it's a Torahitic or, or only a rabbinic prohibition, let's say I gave you the Yom Kippur case. Can't eat on Yom Kippur, right? If you eat a certain amount, you get karate. You get cut off from God a certain divine death penalty. What if you just take a little bite? It's still forbidden. For, now, for a Noahide, it doesn't matter. A little bite, big bite, you know, for whatever his laws, right? For a Jew... So if you don't eat the shiur, the full amount, then you wouldn't get the divine death penalty. But it's still forbidden. There's still a prohibition. It's either pro or chatzi shiur. If eating less, let's say Yom Kippur, eating less than the amount is still prohibited. It's only, is it prohibited Torah 
it's prohibited. The Torah itself like, gave its own fence to the Torah. That it didn't want you to start playing around with little bits. You're going to get to the main part and you're going to violate. Or, no, the Torah itself has no prohibition. The Torah says, you could take little bites, technically. But the rabbi said, no, no, no. We, we're going to put a fence around the Torah. Then we're going to put limitations. You're going to start eating little bits. You're going to get hungry and eat more. So they forbid it. So everyone agrees that Jews have a notion of Hatzishur. We can't eat even the, the smallest amount but it's either only rabbinically prohibited or Torahically prohibited, but you don't get the penalty. But the point is, non-Jews do not have such a law. So back to the abortion case. So even according to Rashi, what I want to say is, that even according to Rashi, where he says it's only a potential life, it's only half a life, guess what? According to for Noahide, there is no full, half, whatever. Once you have a little bit, you got it all. Once you have half a life... You're already in the realm of life. That's it. We don't go into full, less, a little bit. That's it. So according to Rashi, I would say it could still be murder. All right? And yet, um, it's still not, according to Rashi, a full life. But it doesn't matter by Noahide. Are you into the life zone? Potential life? You're into life already? Fine. I don't care. Little life, a lot of life. doesn't matter. Once you're there, it's prohibited. Maybe that's one way to explain Rashi. If you're following that. Okay, so you have this debate between Rashi and the Rambam. By the way, there are other interesting discussions as well about this. Like, for example, um, can you violate Shabbos in order to save a fetus? You know, some a pregnant woman's in danger. Well, let's say the doctor says her life's not in danger; just the fetus is in danger. Okay, can you violate Shabbos? Could she drive to the hospital, or whatever, because her fetus is in danger? If a doctor says you're not in danger at all, it's just your fetus. Okay, so if the fetus I'm saying is not a life, okay? Even according to Rashi, potential life, I don't, you know, it's a little more difficult. The Rambam, clearly, if it's a life, it's, a, it's just like any other life. And the Rambam says you can save it. According to Rashi, also, you could probably do it because we're pretty lenient. We're pretty lenient when it comes to saving lives for Shabbos. It's more like life and limb. It's really more like life and limb. For example, someone, if you cut off someone's arms or legs or whatever, could they be saved? Yes, and we generally say, because a person could die from that. It's Safek Pikuach could You could die, you could get infected, and so on. So generally, even the case I presented, so uh, the fetus, certainly the person could get sick, could get ill, but more you're doing it there for the person, maybe, than the fetus. But uh, nonetheless, that, that's one Nafkamina, one uh, distinguishing point concerning Rashi's view versus the, the Ramam's view. The main point is Noahites cannot uh, commit abortion, which again, our modern society, where even if Jews do not to abortions if they know the halacha but do non-Jews have to keep to that level? Yes they do in terms of abortion they are forbidden to commit an abortion. Let's go on to the next issue and I'm just discussing issues I decided instead of going all through these laws just kind of the ones that stick out in terms of relevance to contemporary society. Hey in the Rambam he says there are six forbidden sexual relationships that a Noahide is forbidden in. All right, he names them, but the one I'm interested in is if you look at the second line, the third word over, vizachor, a male. It is forbidden for a Noahide to be engaged in a homosexual relationship. Okay, homosexuality is forbidden not only for Jews, as it says in the book of Leviticus, that a man shall not lie with another man, but so too it's forbidden for um, non-Jews, Noahides, and it's therefore, we usually consider the Noahide laws like fundamental, as it were, kind of principles of, of civilized life. This is not just, okay, you know, it's another issue that came up, another prohibition in the Torah. That would have seen as fundamental to one's sexual life uh, in this world. All right? Homosexuality is forbidden, by the way. Um, Rabbi Barry Foyndell, in an article he met, wrote many years ago on homosexuality, has a beautiful point that he says that there is no word in the Bible for homosexuality. There is no word for homosexual. There's only a description of the act. Mishkav Zachor. It says to lie down with a male. This is forbidden. Alright? Why he suggests does it describe it like that and not to be a homosexual is forbidden. Anyone would suggest why? Why does he say there's a big thing that Tara's telling us in that? Anyone? All we care about is the forbidden action. 
maybe say that, and the Torah is not going to weigh in on anything else that that, um, that, that maybe attaches to, to that in the culture and the lifestyle. All the Torah is concerning, is concerned about is this abominable action, and uh, we don't care if you have any other things attending to that. Okay. This action, this action alone is forbidden. That's all the Torah is caring about. That's what's going to be forbidden. Now, what Shmuel saying is a very good point. Actually, I have another point, but it's a very good one. He says that, you know, we're not judging you. You say you have certain feelings and desires and everything else. Okay. We're not going to judge you by that. could be. You're not allowed to carry them out. It's the act that's forbidden. In other words, we're all human beings. We all have certain drives and desires. Who's to say only you know, the person himself at this table knows what his drives are? And that, you know, only he's tested in certain ways. For some people, as I always say, it's, you know, the opposite sex is the big, big, the big desirous thing that people are want. For others, it's talking in shul. <laughs> you know, I'm serious. Like, you couldn't get me to talk in shul. I probably said, this, you give me a million dollars. I couldn't talk in shul. So if you give me a million dollars, talk throughout the dot thing. I can't. I have no desire to, and I couldn't do it. On the other hand, I have other, you know, desires like everyone else and lust that everyone else has. Okay? But every person has their own desires. So Shmuel saying, listen, if you say, have seen, we're not going to say, you're crazy, you're sick. We're not going to say anything. You're guilty. We're guilty. not going to invite you over a shop. You can't get an Aliyah. But you can't act on it. The Torah says you have to act on it. The Torah didn't get into what you are. It's just what you do. So just don't act on it. And you know, we don't call you weird or you strangers. Don't act on it. Okay, good point. What Freudel points out, Barry Freudel, is he wants to claim that the reason that the Torah did it was for another reason. Because there is no such thing as a homosexual. That's why the Torah doesn't call a person a homosexual. You are not a homosexual. Mm-hmm. You are a person who engaged in an act mm-hmm. of homosexuality. It is not part of your being. It is not part of your essence, because that's their argument, right? It's part of me. It's me. Uh, you know, you don't recognize me being homosexual. You don't recognize me. What I say, I don't recognize you as being a bisexual. I don't recognize you. As, I mean, you are who you are, and I am who I am. But no, the Torah is trying to say it's not true. It's a choice. It's a choice. And you can deny that choice, of course. Is it difficult? Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult for someone who drinks. Uh, you know, they could find one day there's a gene. Some have dis- discovered this already. You know, for drinking or for alcoholism or for other things. So how could, how could you punish guys an alcoholic? The point is, he's still driving and killing people. It's still not good for society. And the tower might say, this is not good for society. It's not good for the family and so on. It's not good for these values. Whether, whether it's part of you or not is not the issue. Okay, but the point is the Torah is saying it's not part of you. We do not define something. There's not a homosexual community. There are people who do homosexual acts, and as you all know, I think um, the primordial kind of existence of man before we got to Torah describes, as you know, Noah. I've said in Shul, the final um, blow before the world was destroyed was when two men came to um, to the judge in the time of Noah and said. We want a marriage contract, the two of us. We want a marriage contract. And then God said to Midrash, says, okay, that's it, it's all over. It's all over. Why? Hey, people do it. Okay, people sin. I understand that. But now you want to put it you know, down in the books? You want to go into the government offices and you want it on file on the computer? It's an official marriage? It's a document? No. That already is the end of society. All right? And that is what we're facing today, of course, in the courts. That people want it to be officially recognized, you know, signed by the whoever, Attorney General, whoever it is, that this is legitimate, this is as legitimate as any other marriage, okay? And that is a huge problem. Of course, as you know, in the time of Saddam also, and Gamal destroyed one of the reasons because of homosexual activity. This seemed, would seem to be a terrible sin according to the Torah. Again, it's a death penalty if uh, the Jews would, would do it uh, after the Torah is given. And. Um, we see here by Noahides also that it is prohibited. It is prohibited for non-Jews to engage in that type of activity. So again, you could have said, no Jews are expected to be on a higher level. Okay. But non-Jews? No. So what's the big deal? No. It's prohibited. Yes. Well, also, um, people who engage strictly in homosexual activity can't fulfill the commandment to be fruitful. That's correct. It's a very good point. It's a very good point. Some people claim that the reason the Torah forbids this is because it frustrates and destroys, you know, in a sense, by taking that root, the idea of being fruitful, multiplying, which of course is a major need for society to exist and to continue to exist. If everyone did this, you know, you wouldn't have children. I mean, even those who do figure out a way 
you know, they go through a surrogate or something else. Okay, but you know, you're not having ten children that way. You're not having maybe they have one. You know, to be able to have a child. That's a good point, right? So that's another reason why some people say this is a an abomination. The call the Torah calls. In fact, Moshe Feinstein points out in his writings that the forbidden sexual liaisons, right, that are put down in, in Leviticus. So by all of it says you can't commit adultery, you can't have a relationship with your sister, you can't have a relationship with your mother, and so on. At the very end it says these things are an abomination. Except for one. By the homosexual act it says in the very verse this is an abomination. But Moshe Feinstein claims the reason is because, listen, you have desire for, let's say I'm speaking as a man, right? you have desire for a woman, okay? Your sister's a woman. Your daughter's a woman. Your mother's a woman. All right? While it might sound sick, we understand. But, you know, a woman's beautiful. You're attracted to her. Okay. Your sister's beautiful. You can be attracted. I mean, it just, it, it's the same internal, you know, mechanisms working there. Okay? But to be attracted to a man, or Moshe Feinstein says, so that the Torah doesn't understand. That's the Torah doesn't understand. That already says, that's why that's an abomination. That's purely your choice to do it. That's purely your decision to do it. And by the way, the female female thing is interesting because, as you may know, first of all, Noahide is not forbidden in lesbianism. It doesn't say that she's forbidden. Forbidden? Yeah. Well, no. For Noahide, I don't think it's forbidden at all, necessarily. Really? I mean, it doesn't say. It's, there are no rabbinic laws by Noahides. I mean, it doesn't apply. By, by a Jew, right? It does not say specifically in the Torah that two women cannot have a sexual relationship with each other. Is it forbidden? Yes, it's forbidden. But it's not clearly in the Torah. It says you shall not do like the actions of the Egyptians and the pagan nations. From that, the rabbis derive. Oh, so you can't do it either, but it's not specific. Okay? And some say part of the reason is because, again, I don't know if everyone knows this here, but men have the obligation to have children. They say, well, wow, that's a strange one. But women don't. I know this is the most difficult thing. <laughs> women don't. We've we got to have the children and we've got to go through all their pain. But we're not obligated. No. Men are and women are not. So therefore, if a male has relations with another male, he's frustrating this mitzvah per revubi, fruitful multiply. A woman doesn't have that mitzvah. So thereby, when she engages in that forbidden sexual act, it's not seen as, as terrible. It may be that she is not getting in the way of the fulfillment of a Torahidic law Okay, by doing this. She's not required to do it. All right? So there you see, anyway, these, these, um, these views that even um, uh, homo- the homosexual act is forbidden for the Noahides as well, which then, therefore, leads me to the next very, very important question. And here it is. You know, I don't know if you've been following the news lately, but um, there are Catholic priests who have come out and said that anyone who voted for Obama, and certainly for others we've had in the past, um, such an individual cannot have the sacraments, cannot have you know the blood and the the uh, the body of you know in church because they are worthy of excommunication. They voted for him, and furthermore, they should go to confession and face up to the fact that they have sinned. All right? How so? Why? Because in terms of abortion, right? Where he had not as strong as some people basically he, he's not anti-abortion let's put it that way mm-hmm. okay and, and some, there were others who were and um, and also in terms of homosexuality true he did say that marriage is Obama uh, holds between a man and a woman that's how he defines marriage but I believe he was in favor of civil unions as I understand it and the idea that there could still be this relationship which also they hold is forbidden but really the abortion one where for Catholicism um, um, life begins at conception in Judaism there's some doubt the Gemara's would say it's only at 40 days where, where right but, but before 40 days if there would be a need let's say you could have an abortion, not just for nothing, I'm just going to abort, but if there would be a certain significant need, um, you could perhaps do it. But um, these people have suggested that uh, anyone who voted this way, right, is in trouble with God and has to make, you know, repentance. The question is, how far does that go? If you take a look at the Rambam, look now at, if you still have it from previous times, you have it from this sheet, alright? The Rambam, we're now in the um, the eighth parak. We've looked at this before, but we did not emphasize this point as I'm going to emphasize it now. Halacha Yud, second halacha, right? Halacha Yud. Where I have it underlined. You see it. The Rambam says, "The Siva Moshe Rabbeinu Mipiag Vura 
לחוף את כל באי עולם לקבל מצוות שנצטוו בני נוח. And so Moshe Rabbeinu commanded not only the Noahide laws that should be kept by the Noahides, but he commanded us to compel all inhabitants of this world to accept upon themselves the commandments which Noahides have been commanded. Which means, it would seem to me, that the Rabbi will be telling us, if you have an election, let's just make a clear cut. And you know this guy is is in favor of abortion. This guy is in favor of, of, um, of homosexuality. And in favor of all these other things that go against the Noahide laws. So, since our obligation is to vote for a candidate and to vote for a, a law that will, that will cause others in our world, non-Jews as well, to properly keep the Noahide laws, then how can you vote for such a person? It's against the Rambam says you're not allowed to do that. You have to vote for someone who's going to enforce the Noahide laws. Having said this, so I once asked Rav Herschel Schechter in a meeting of rabbis, this I guess was four years ago then, 2004 at a convention, I stood up and I said, Rav Schechter, would you not say that according to the Rambam, and I quoted this Rambam, one would be required to vote, let's say, Republican, it was at that time, because the Republican platform was anti-homosexuality and anti-abortion, and um, this platform was, was the opposite, right? The Democratic platform. So Schechter said no, he disagreed. I thought it was like such a good, I thought I had it, you know? Mm-hmm. He said no, he doesn't think so. So what do you think? The Rambam says clearly, what? Can any of you come up, well, why, why would you say maybe I was wrong? I mean, I don't know. I still can't, you know, but disagrees with me. It's more for practical reasons, he said. I mean, they can yeah. say they're for them, but are they going to do Exactly, it? exactly. Roshefka said, number one, already we're saying with Obama, you know, like he said, oh, the, the new guy's in Washington. And then he picks this guy from Clinton and this from Clinton and this is Clinton and this guy. Already reality sets in and you can't just do whatever you want. So Roshefka says, so who says just because he goes on that platform? Furthermore, he says he might have to convince Congress or the Senate or the court has to weigh in, you know, and even though he may pick the judges, but okay, they could say it's their decision. So that's just it's his decision. He may say this is what he's in favor of, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen just because he's in favor of it. I mean, still to me it was, okay, but you know the other guy is, is not in favor of it, you know? But, but, but Schachter felt that furthermore, what about other considerations? What about, what if that other guy who is, he says, I'm in favor of abortion and homosexuality, but boy, he is going to stand for Israel to the end of our days, all right? And the other guy is kind of like on Israel, wishy-washy. So look, you have to weigh certain things here. Let's say pikuach nefesh for the Jews in Israel. Is this maybe this guy doesn't, isn't going to sell uh, you know any more armaments to Israel? But, but he's very good on, on our view of abortion and homosexuality. He's Noahide all the way. Still, you got to weigh various issues here. So uh, he wanted to claim it's not so clear. I thought really it was so so clear to me from this Rambam. We must force everyone that we can to keep the Noahide laws. Definitely must do it through the political system. And again, Rashi was saying, you're right. But the Wilkinson itself is not a clear thing that it's going to happen that way. See, it's hard to say for sure that you'd have to do it. It's very, very interesting, this whole uh, idea. So we have these notions then, um, which are uh, very relevant to our time uh, concerning the Noahides. And again, even if people would be good individuals, so to speak, and, um, and do all sorts of wonderful things and, and be moral human beings, but these things have to weigh in. You, you, you can't say, I keep all the Noachide laws. I'm homosexual. You're not keeping them. Okay, I keep all the laws, but abortion is a good thing. A woman should have a right to choose to have an abortion. I believe in a woman's right. Okay, that's fine. But you're not a Noachide then. So again, it becomes a question we just say as we questioned last week about Christianity. Oh, America's basically Noachides. America's basically Noachide. Not so fast. Not so fast. Do you admit to these laws? Another question to add to the Christianity, if that's idolatry, and to are you doing it because God commanded it through Moses? Are you doing it because Jesus commanded it to keep these laws? You know, as the New Testament, we raised those issues before. Again, it's not so clear. All right. In the few minutes we have left, 
Let us go on to um, another Noahide law which is relevant to our time. And again, I think it should be surprising. Look at the bottom of the page, back to the ninth uh, chapter, bottom of the right-hand side, good Dalit. Ketzad mitzuvin hein aladinim. We know that Noahides are also commanded to set up courts of justice. They must act justly. They're society. So he says, Chayavin lahoshiv dayanim v'shoftim b'chop lach uplach l'dun b'sheish mitvot elu so the Rambam's view is they have to set up courts everywhere to deal with these six Noahide laws. This is the seventh one, right? I mean, to deal with the other six, they have to judge people, they have to bring them into court, and you know, put, bring them to justice. If they violate, she has to be a lawless society. There has to be justice, and they have to carry out that justice. The Ramban, as you know, disagrees with the Rambam's understanding. And the Ramban says that the courts are supposed to set up all types of other laws. You shall not litter, you shall not, you know, whatever laws, traffic like all these other laws we have. Okay? That's all under this mitzvah of dinin. But the Rambam seems to say, no, no, I don't know what that is, but that's not under this Torahitic mitzvah of dinin, of laws. That's just making sure the Noahide laws are kept. Right? That's, that's where we are focused on that. If you go to the top of the next page, so it says, there's some interesting things here, but I just want to get to the point again where it's relevant to our time. Um, next page, the third line down. So, how is it Ben Noah killed? The Rambam says, Be'edachad, you only need one witness, not two witnesses like you do in Jewish law. One witness will do it. Be'edachad, you only need one judge. In Jewish law, you need 23 judges to administer the death penalty. You know, like, wow, you know, one judge, one judge. Below Hatraz, we said previously you don't need a warning. In Jewish law, you need a warning. Here, you don't need a warning. Look, guys, again, you only have seven laws. More is expected of you. You only have seven laws. Okay, sorry. You don't get a warning. You don't need two witnesses. One is enough. Twenty-three judges, one is enough. I'm sorry, seven laws. Okay, come on. You should have kept that. The Alp Krovin, relatives can convict you. In Jewish law, relatives cannot convict because relatives may say something in your favor or against you because they had a family feud or whatever. There's no relatives, no relatives. Noahides can have relatives. Avalo, listen to this. Avalo be'edut isha. But you still can't have testimony from a woman. Below tadun isha lahem. And a woman cannot be a judge. Isn't that interesting? For Noah. For the Noahides, right? For Jews also you can't do it. For Jews, for sure. A woman cannot be a witness. A woman cannot be a judge. That's for sure. For Noahides, everything else breaks down here. One witness instead of two. One judge instead of 23. Uh, relatives can be witnesses and judges. Not in the case of Jews, but they can by Noahides. So I would think, uh, so women, Mistama could also... Do. No, 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 no. The prohibition by woman still holds. A woman can't be a judge, and a woman cannot be a witness. Now, why do you think that is? Now, of course, a feminist will say, uh, obviously, because Judaism is just carrying through with its idea that women have no credibility whatsoever. They have no credibility. Even for Noahides, they have no credibility. Even for Noahides. A, a brother and a sister can, you know, have it out in a Noahide court. You usually throw it out. You say, oh, brothers and sisters, who knows what they're going to say. He's going to argue in her favor because it's, it's, her, it's her brother. Of course he's, he's going he's to say she didn't do it. Of course he's going to say that, let's say. Yeah, but well, it's okay. No, it's all right. No, it's We'll let it go. But not women. We're not going to let that one go. Well, women cannot be judges or witnesses. Nothing to do with it. Now, why is that? So it's not because many of you already know that women are not credible in Jewish law. That's ridiculous. If women are not credible in Jewish law, you could, you could not eat in anyone's home. Because we eat in someone's home because generally women run the kitchen. Women are in control of the house. A woman is believed to tell her husband, you know, she cooked dinner tonight. Is it kosher? Yeah, it's kosher. Oh, how do I know? There were no witnesses. How do I know? You're not to be believed. So you're my wife, big deal. So what? I need witnesses. Can you imagine if you need witnesses every dinner, every lunch, every... And they were invited to stay for dinner, of course. It'd be a much different household. Yeah, everybody else. Yeah, but... Uh, but it, that's right, because we learned this halacha of Eidachad Neman Bisurin, it's called, that one witness is believed in, um, in areas of just, is this permitted or forbidden? We learned that from a woman who is allowed, it says, the Safrala, a woman counts her days going to the mikvah. She tells her husband, okay, I'm going to the mikvah tonight, it's been seven days, clean days, right, since I had my period, I've been checking everything else. Now, what if you say, well, what, what, what do you mean? So how do I know? Maybe it was only six days. I don't trust you. Five days. You're not reliable. You have no credibility. 
Of course we don't say that a woman has credibility. So you see a woman has credibility. It's not that she has credibility that she can't testify in court, she can't be a judge. Why can't she? It's hard to say because it is a gezerah nakatsu, it's considered a decree, but some have suggested the idea maybe God did not want women in this um, unsneeze, you know, immodest type of setting of a court. Everyone's focusing on the judge. Everyone's staring at the witness. Okay, um, people did not want women to be, and God did not want women to be in this type of setting to such a degree that even in Noahide courts, does this be saying Jewish modesty is such a critical value? It's, it even carries over to Noahides that women have certain modesty standards that we kind of look toward. Maybe I don't know about dress, no, but but look toward um, to be able to uphold, you know, the system of law. However, my point to you is as follows. It says one witness you need to condemn a Noahide. So would you say American courts are good Noahide courts? What would you say? All you need is one witness. What do you say? Little trick question. Yeah, reasonable doubt. Oh, exactly. What could condemn a person in a normal court in America? What could condemn a person? If you have a witness, what? Like... Even though it's considered perfect evidence, like forensics, DNA. His DNA was there, Your Honor. DNA. Oh yeah, yes. They testified it was his DNA. Not He's guilty. He said he wasn't there. We found his blood there on the weapon. He's guilty. So at first, I, you know, I said, like, what? That's pretty good proof. They said DNA. I mean, I mean, that's you. That's you and no one else. DNA. I mean, what, what do you want? So I went to ask for partners this, and he said, No, it's no proof. DNA only proves that the person was there. It doesn't, if no one saw the act, it doesn't prove. Even if you say, his fingerprints are on the gun. The Gemara has a case like this. The Gemara has a case where someone was chasing after someone, right? Like they go in a, in a, in a cave or whatever, they, and then they catch up to them, and they see the person with the knife in their hand, with blood on the knife, the person over the person. The Gemara says, That's, you cannot put a person to death for that. He said, look, I saw it, I pick up the knife. What? But my mom, I wanted to say this in the very first five minutes of the show when I held back. Uh-oh. Because you're raising this very issue. Yes. Did I, as, a, um, as an observer, see a road date? He's running after somebody else, and I surmise, he must want to kill that guy. I, therefore, an individual, can take it upon myself to interfere and to read into the mind of this guy, though he may be screaming, Can I kill you? I got a gun. How do I know? Yet there I am, allowed to stop him by killing him? Meanwhile, I as a, as a witness, as a single witness, have no voice in a Jewish court. And the Gemara, as you yourself just said, uh, paints a picture of a guy who walks out and says, See this bloody knife? Yeah, you see that corpse in there? But they didn't see anything happen. So you can't claim that I killed anybody. Meanwhile, there is a corpse in there. And the guy is walking away. The guy's alive. Now he's dead. And the guy walks out with a knife. How, how do we reconcile me not able to testify about this uh, apparent hom- uh, um, perpetration of homicide, yet I am allowed to inject myself into Rodez and stop the uh, purported killer or the putative killer was about to do something bad. I don't know how to reconcile okay. this. Do you have an answer? Yeah. Or? I was going to say because after the fact, if you're trying to kill him, you didn't see him do it. You're not saving anybody. At the when you're throwing after the road ape, it's to save somebody. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, maybe the one running after that one is the murder and. Right, but I hear what you're saying. I mean, here it's already done, it's already over. It's like, what, you know, we're here in the act where you can actually save someone. Good point. Okay, I was going to say something else that basically we have a notion of like, Ayla Dayan, Ella Mashlifne, Einav, and the witness also. You, only, you know, he, he can only see what he can see. I mean, people are human beings. By the case of chasing after, if someone's saying, I'm going to kill you, and he's got a knife, now if someone's saying, I'm going to kill you, and he's just running, he doesn't have a weapon. So, okay, he's going to kill you. We all know that means he's going to jump on He's going to wrestle him. He's going to hit him. But if someone has a knife or a gun, he says, I'm going to kill you. I think most of them, okay, that is legitimate enough to say he's really going to kill him. He's got a gun. And, and, and even if you'd be found wrong, I would still think no one would have that person guilty. I mean, you, you have, again, I, I would say the forking of life comes when you've put yourself in a position where it appears you're going to kill that person. 
not just, well, we have to know, if, was it really true he was really going to kill him? It doesn't matter. When you um, create a scenario where you are chasing after someone with a weapon, you are a road ape. I don't care. You're playing games. I don't care. You can't do that. I think that's the idea. And with the judge, with the blood and everything else, I would say, and I've seen this brought down in, in, um, in the Rambam and other places as well, I believe, that there is um, a notion of, again, the judge being able to give a punishment even though he does not have all of the indications that the person did it. In other words, he may be able to say, listen, like in your case, okay, we can't do the death penalty. All right, you're right. No, we'd have two witnesses to see it. But, you know, we're pretty well convinced with everything that happened, and you're not even denying it, you know, that, that you did it. We can't kill you. We can put you, but what we call the kippah, we can put you in a, like in jail. Maybe we could starve you to death if we really think you did it. You know, we cannot bring you food. We cannot kill you directly. But we could lock you up if we think you're a dangerous society. There's still certain things we could do. It's just we can't kill you. So anyway... I don't think I totally answered you, but it was an attempt. Okay. Um, so, we, because of the DNA and the stuff like that, and by the way, even DNA is not conclusive. There was once a story, I told this to Lunch and Learn a few years ago, if anyone was there, an amazing story, an amazing story. There was a guy in jail, and he was in jail because um, he had raped someone, right? He was accused of rape. All right? He was accused of rape. And um, they had taken his DNA, right? Accused of rape. Another rape happened when he was in jail. They go to the woman, right? They take the DNA. It's that guy's DNA again. So he says, it can't be. I was in jail. It can't be my DNA. How could it be my DNA? So it looks like the whole thing. So what happened was that he, someone visited him. Look how disgusting this is. And he, he got the person's sperm. The guy in jail got his DNA and put like in a toothpaste and whatever, walked out with it, okay? And then had his DNA from the sperm, whatever, put it on that woman. So it looked like, you see what people go to? That somehow, it can't be. How could his DNA be out there if he was in here? That's what happened. My partner said, it doesn't, even with every little bit there, and I'm sure there have been cases like this. Of course, we see it all the time where someone's accused. And in America, all the time, they, where they try to find people who are accused falsely, they look into the cases, oh, and you know. We had a clinic at the United Law School. I was there. Right, right. People have been in law, you know, for 40 years, since, since they were 20 years old, and then they proved they were innocent yeah. because uh, this evidence was, was incorrectly looked at or was tampered with or whatever else, even though then it looked solid and so on. No. So Jewish law says you need the witnesses. So I question even to the Noahide court system, is that within our American court system? And in conclusion, what we're saying is it's not so simple to say America and Americans are just Noahides according to the Rambam's view and even according to anyone's view. There are problems in all of these issues, and it's not so simple to be a Noahide or a Noahide society as perhaps it seemed from an initial uh, learning of these halachas.